Today is Pentecost Sunday, and I have looked forward eagerly. You know, I always look forward to preaching, but sometimes there's just an eagerness about the message that I'm going to preach. When I was studying in Israel, we uh, went to a dramatic presentation of Pentecost at the Cultural Center in Jerusalem. Pentecost was the celebration, the Jewish feast of the celebration of bringing in the wheat harvest. It was a harvest of first fruits. It was also the celebration of the giving of the Word of God. And I remember as we were in that cultural center, and I saw dramatically for the first time the celebration of the wheat harvest, the celebration of where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and also thinking that it was the celebration of the birthday of the church, the first fruits of what Christ did at Calvary for us. My heart was moved, and it's one of those moments I've never forgotten. The very next day, we were taken to the upper room, what was supposed to be like the upper room. It's a, an old building that's been there, but that part of Jerusalem was destroyed. So in the upper room where the early disciples were, a room like it, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the tongues of fire and the sound of the rushing mighty wind, which was all symbolic of what happened on the mountain when God gave the word of the Lord. But also it was that... That, that, that language that people was given, that they spilled out of that room and they spoke the word of the Lord. I didn't tell the first service this, but I remember after the lecture, we were just given an opportunity to pray and to think and to journal. And I went over to the back left-hand corner of that upper room and I just sat down on the floor by myself. And I said, Lord, I want my life. I want my ministry. I want the people that I pastor I want them to be so filled with your Holy Spirit, not that we're known for gifts of the Spirit, which I want to happen, not that we're known for miracles, which I want to happen, that we're known to talk about the goodness of God. Because on that day of Pentecost, they were telling the good news of what God had done in Christ. It was a moving, it was a memorable experience. In a very positive sense, it was like a brand on my mind. That all came back to me this week, Barb, when you shared with me that your daughter had passed away and that the morning she passed away, you had a vision. And I shared this with the first service as we prayed for your family, that she was standing in a wheat field. And this is before you knew that Sarah had died. I've thought about that, and I've remembered that, that presentation. We talked about this in my study yesterday. I'm so thankful for the cross. I'm so thankful for what Pentecost stands for, that 3,000 people were added to the church, and I am so thankful for the grace of our God that is ours in Christ. Can you say amen? So I'm going to ask you, if you would, just bow your heads with me, and let's pray for the Sheridan family this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gifts of dreams and visions. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at all of that in just a moment, but we're more thankful for the blood of Jesus and for your covenant promises. And I pray for Rich and Barb, and I pray for Jeremy and their, his children, Lord. I pray that the comfort of the Holy Spirit will be theirs, and the peace of God that passes understanding that you intended to be there so this dream, this vision, whatever it was that you gave to Barb, that you would comfort them. 
And Lord, as we gather here next Saturday to remember her life and to mourn with this family, we pray, God, for your grace and we pray for your covering. For it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen and amen. I come to a series that I really don't want to close because I told my wife over and over I could spend the rest of every Sunday this year preaching on a different promise of God. But this morning I'm closing the series. I promise this will be the 10th message. I believe it's the longest series I've preached with the exception of one other when I preached on the Ten Commandments on a Sunday morning. I preached much longer series on Wednesday nights when I preached through Romans or Revelation or something like that. But for a Sunday morning series, it's the longest series I've ever done. However, you need to know I could go a lot longer with this as you'll see him for just a moment. D.L. Moody is famous for having said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Can you say amen to that? God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Herbert Lockyer, who wrote the book, Every Promise in the Bible, says that God made over 7,500 promises to us. So if the Lord would speak to me and say, Denny, this is what I want you to preach till I call you home. I've got nine of them down. I've got a bunch more I could go through and preach every Sunday the word of the Lord by preaching on one specific promise that God had made. Several things that I've told you most every week during this series is, number one, remember who makes the promise. God makes the promise. A promise is only as good as the person who makes it. So if you make me a promise, I know it's good because you made it, and I trust you. If you say, I'm going to write you a letter this week, I trust you because you're good as the promise. Number two, you are an heir of the promise. In other words, my children love to tease me once in a while. I shared this with you when we preached about this. They tease me once in a while about, what am I getting, Dad, when you die? I said, nothing, because your mama gets it all, you know, and she's probably going to spend it all. <laughs> and I just tease them with that, you know, and they go, oh, no, we're your heirs, and you're an heir of God, and God gives you everything that he has. Number three, the promises have substance. You've heard sayings like, well, that was an empty promise. Somebody made a promise, and either through some sort of circumstance or their enthusiasm, they were unable to keep their promise. They were unable to fulfill that promise. We have an individual at our church that I'm so proud of that during our last capital fund campaign, by the time that we'd all said that we would call it quits, that on that campaign, we set a time limit for it, this person... In their, their faith, they made a promise and they weren't able to keep it, but every single week they give a little bit towards that promise. Their promise has substance. Their promise is not empty. And it would have been so easy for them to have forgotten their promise and nobody would have ever said anything to them about it, but my hat is off to them and if I outlive them, it's something I will tell at their funeral because their promise has substance. Number four, these promises are covenant promises. Promises that God make with us. Now, covenant promises are this. No matter what I do, God is going to keep his promise. God is faithful. When I give my heart to Jesus Christ, he washes away my sins. He doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me through the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he knows I'm going to sin. So he says to me, confess your sins and I will be faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. He makes he makes room for my sins by saying, just confess to me and I will forgive you of all your sins. 
You know, this week on Wednesday morning, I will never forget it, Wednesday morning in my devotions, I read the verse of Scripture where David said, Lord, forgive me of any hidden faults, of any secret sins. Wednesday morning, everything was just such clear sailing in my life, such a good time of devotion, and it felt so good to pray that way. I'm on my way to a meeting in Dearborn Wednesday, and somebody almost hits me. They look at me as they cut in on me. Just to make it off the exit ramp, I have to hit the brakes. The car behind me squalling. They're running off on the sideway. I'm on the phone. My earpiece is in my ear. And I said right out loud, I said, if I had an SUV, I'd push you in a ditch. And the person says, wow, what happened? So I told him. He goes, wow, that was scary. I said, it was scary. And I said, I just sinned in my mouth and in my heart. I'm never supposed to act that way. And then I told him, I said, I prayed this prayer this morning, so God allowed a little tempest on my heart to bring some muck up from the bottom. Because when the weather is calm and clear, the water is clear, but you let a little storm come up, and what's on the bottom, the secret stuff, gets stirred up. And I came to the church that Wednesday night, and I confessed to them, and I confessed to you that I sinned boldly. And thank God I didn't have an SUV. Number five, there are conditional promises. Promises that God says, if you do this, I will do this. Like, honor the Lord with your first fruits. God says, if you do this, I'll cause your life to overflow. But then finally, I must choose to receive the promise. I must choose to receive. God makes promises. I make promises to my kids. I make promises to you. But you have to choose to receive the promise. If someone makes a promise and... I recently came across a promise that I was given. It's a gift certificate for a pie at Kate's Kitchen. <gasps> Amy was helping me clear out some papers in my office, and I saw this gift certificate, and I said, Amy, there's a promise I haven't received yet. I'm going to go to Kate's and receive my promise. There's no expiration date on it. Hallelujah. There's no expiration date on the promises God gives us. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? I am just so thankful for that. Now, on this day of Pentecost, Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit. So he told them, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you are endowed with power by the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite preachers of yesterday was Martin Lloyd-Jones. I was introduced to his ministry while I was a student in college. And towards the end of his ministry and probably at the peak of his ministry, Lloyd-Jones, who was a surgeon who became a Christian in the 1900s in England, he became a Christian, left his surgical career in order to become the, a pastor he asked his church this. He says, as Reformed people, we believe we receive the Holy Spirit. He said, I only have one question to ask you. If you got it all at conversion, then where in God's name is it? There must be more than what we've experienced. And I want us to look at that. So would you stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord this morning? On that day of Pentecost, as I shared with you in Acts chapter 2, there was the sound of a rushing wind. There was the descent of the tongues of fire. People were filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter said, and they spilled out into the street. 
praying in languages, speaking in languages they had never learned. And across the Roman Empire, because it was a Jewish feast that all the men were required to attend, and it was the Feast of First Harvest, all of these people had come together from the known Roman Empire, and they could hear in their own language, not Hebrew, they could hear in their own language, the wonderful works of God being talked about. So they ask a question, what does this mean? And Peter answers this in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, and men and women alike, and they will prophesy. If you would look with me at the next verse in, in Acts 2.33, Paul goes on to talk about Jesus and how he's been crucified, how he's rose from the dead. And after his ascension, this is how Peter explains what's happening. He says, now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see in here today. Now, I want you to get this imagery. When I pray for you to be healed here at Woodland, you know that I anoint you with oil. I put a little olive oil in obedience to the Scripture, and I anoint you with oil. I make the sign of the cross upon your forehead in obedience to the Scripture. If there's any sick, let them be anointed with oil. Now, anointing and pouring out were synonymous in the Old Testament if you were anointed, they poured the oil out, and it talks about in the Bible the flowing down of the oil down Aaron's hair and his beard. I'm preaching in Africa. I'm preaching in the Middle East. I'm preaching in parts of Asia. Guess how they anoint you over there? They pour it out, and you are an oily, greasy mess, but you are blessed when you walk out of there. Do you get what I'm saying? So the Lord is saying, I will pour out without measure upon you the Holy Spirit. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I want that fullness of your Holy Spirit. I pray for a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit upon us. Come, Holy Spirit of God, and clothe us with yourself. Come, Holy Spirit, and kindle a white-hot fire of love within us. Come, Holy Spirit, and distribute your gifts of healings and distribute your gifts of miracles and knowledge and wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit, and raise up pastors and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. And come, Holy Spirit, I pray, and let there be the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness the self-control, the long-suffering that is the mark of people who live and walk in holiness. Come, Holy Spirit, and help us to love you heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another, and yes, even love our enemies. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray in Christ's name, and make us bold expressors of the love of Jesus Christ when we spill out of this building today declaring the wonderful works of God. For it's in your name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. You know, we often think sometimes in the New Testament that 
The Holy Spirit only went to work in church, but my Jewish friends are quick to remind me of their love and appreciation of the work of the Holy Spirit, how that it was the Spirit of the Lord that hovered over the chaos of the antediluvian world, and then God created the world and brought by His Spirit order, creation out of that chaos, how God breathed his spirit into human beings. We didn't evolve. We were created and we became living souls. And how that when we sinned, that man died spiritually speaking. Though there was physical life, we died spiritually speaking. And of course, they longed for that day when the spirit of the Lord would come and people would once again be filled with the Holy Spirit. They were familiar with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that might come upon one of the champions or the judges of old and how that by the Spirit of the Lord they would accomplish a great battle. They were also familiar with how at times the Spirit would rest upon somebody and then lift off of them once they had accomplished what God had called them to accomplish. They were also very familiar that it was the Spirit of the Lord that watched over the world and cared for the world. Let me give you an example from the book of Psalms. Oh Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom you have made them all. And the earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. For when you supply it, they gather it. And you open your hand to feed them, and they are richly satisfied. And when you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Would you read that with me, that last sentence? When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. What a wonderful work of the preserving, keeping power of the Holy Spirit. I was talking with a Muslim friend of mine this week who's very loquacious, by the way. He loves to talk, and I'm not saying that to criticize him. He's just a knowledgeable guy and loves to talk. And he said, well, you and I have a disagreement here because you believe in three gods and we Muslims believe in one God. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Let me correct you. We do not believe in three gods. He goes, you don't? I go, no, we believe in one God. Behold, the Lord our God is one, but he manifests himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're one God. And I said, and great is that mystery And anybody that would try to tell you we are polytheistic or we believe in three gods, that is a lie. That's a falsehood. And just like I would never spread anything false about your faith, please don't spread anything false about my faith in the Bible. And my friend, as I told you, who's very loquacious, was suddenly at a loss for words, and he didn't know how to say that. It is a mystery. It is a mystery, but God is one And he manifests himself marvelously as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul goes on and he writes about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament in Romans chapter 8. And he says something I think is very important. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his children And now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. How many of you know what the word Abba means? It means daddy. It means daddy. So there's nothing irreverent about saying daddy. As a matter of fact, let's read it that way this morning. If you'll put that back up on the screen for me. For we call, now we call him Abba Father. Let's say it, Daddy Father. Now we call him Daddy Father. 
I love that. Daddy, that's a term of endearment. When my children were little, they called me daddy all the time. Daddy this, daddy that. Daddy, daddy, daddy. I'd walk in the door and they'd hug me. When they got older, it was dad, dad, dad. Now, sometimes when they want something, even to this day as adult children, they go, daddy. And as soon as they do that, my hand goes over my wallet because I know they're about to ask me for something. And that's why God wants you to know you can come to him in the name of Jesus and ask him anything for he loves you. For the rest of that verse says, we are God's children. We haven't received a spirit that makes us fearful slaves. We've experienced the spirit of sonship and of daughtership. And what happens to God's people when they receive Jesus Christ is everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8 says, but you will receive power, or, and I put this word in there, it's not in the scripture, ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you say, Pastor, why did you put that word ability there? Because the Greek word power is dunamis, and most all of us have heard that dunamis means dynamite. Well, the people that Peter was preaching to had no idea what dynamite was. It would be over a thousand years before dynamite was ever created. Dunamis meant the power to accomplish the impossible. And when dynamite was created, it wasn't created to kill people. It was created to make the impossible possible for construction crews and building roads and mines, things that couldn't be tunneled through. Suddenly there was this massive explosion that could take place they made what was formerly impossible possible. And I'm praying today that God will let there be a massive explosion of His Holy Spirit in our hearts. Not dynamite, but the ability to do what God has called us to do. Didn't Jesus say that even greater things would we be able to do than what He had done? You see, the ability is to be who God created you to be, to be the man God created you to be, to be the husband God created you to be, to be the daughter God created you to be, to be the student, to be the pastor, to be whoever it is that God has created you to be, to be that person. And not to be ashamed of who God created you to be and not to buy into the lie of the world that because you might feel something or something may not be quite right in your life that all of a sudden that maybe you need to change who you are, be who God created you to be. I am so thankful that God gave me the ability despite all of the debilitating disease and its effects that I had, that God was able to give the dunamis, the power, the massive ability to defy everything and to become what God created me to be. God's given you that ability, but God also gives us the ability to touch people with the love of God, with the love of Jesus Christ. It's my prayer for us all the time that God would make us bold expressors of the love of God, and not just to one another. It's easy to love you, Shelby. It's easy to love you this morning. It is another thing to love my enemies. It's another thing to love those who have hurt me and wounded me. But when God gives us dunamis, this massive ability, then like Jesus, we love our enemies and we find ourselves, even when they crucify us, not praying, God, curse them. But God, forgive them. It's a supernatural love. How does he do that? Romans 5 and verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice that. God 
pours out his love. Remember the anointing. God pours it out upon. He drenches you in love. I want to squeak with love. I want to leave footprints of love. I want when I touch people for them to walk away, not them to be dripping with an oily feeling, but I want them to be dripping with the love of God that says, yes, 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 God loves me. And whoever our church touches, wherever we minister in the world, that somehow or another the love of God goes through us. And you might say, especially if you don't know me, boy, you must have had a favored life. You must have had this and that. Well, I tell you, I've had favor, but I know what it is to go through the fire. I know what it is to go through the fire and to come forth purified and not burned. And you can go through the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said to Nebuchadnezzar, you may throw us into this furnace, and God may not deliver us from this furnace, but we will not bow down before you. And so Nebuchadnezzar, in his anger, he orders the fire to be heated seven times hotter, throws them into the fire, and their bonds burn off. And Nebuchadnezzar, to his astonishment, says, I threw three men in, but there's a fourth man in there with him, and he looks like the Son of God, and he calls out to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hey, fellas, come out here and tell me what's going on. I'm telling you, you can go through the fire and be purified, or you can go through the fire and become a skeptic. And you become a skeptic when you forget who you belong to. Warren Wiersbe, who's close to heaven now, he said these words, a realist is an idealist who has, been gone, who has gone through the fire and has been purified. A skeptic is an idealist who's gone through the fire and been burned. May God so fill us with his love that we are realist, but we have pure hearts. Secondly, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Spirit, however you want to say it, you're a worshiper. Worship was expressed. Worship was expressed. People began to glorify and to love God. They found themselves, and I'm going to take a little time with this because normally before COVID, we taught four times a month on this, 10 months out of the year. We taught four months on this. And so I haven't had a chance, and there's been a lot of new people come to Woodland, and we talked about this this morning in the first service. By the way, four men crossed the line and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ this morning. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? It was just wonderful. Four men crossed the line, and that means we've got to get more women here that don't know Jesus as well. So reach out to lost ladies as well. But it was so exciting this morning. But something happened. They, and this was controversial then, and it's still controversial now, and that was People begin to pray in languages they didn't understand. And the common vernacular is called tongues. And we use this language so we don't confuse people about praying in the Spirit, which is another way Paul talks about this. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. And everyone was present and filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Would you read that last phrase with me? as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. It was something that God did. Once in a while, when people find out that I pray in the Spirit, they say, could you teach me how? So I can't teach you how, but I can pray for you to receive this gift of being able to pray in other languages, but I can't teach you how. I could mimic words and have you to try to mimic those words, but that would not be genuine. But you just pray and you trust God, and it's like everything else. It's all a step of faith. You don't try to work it up psychologically. You don't try to work it up emotionally. 
when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began praying in these other languages, remember I told you how I went to the back left-hand corner of the upper room and I prayed, Lord, may I, may all of those in my ministry, may we spill out of our worship services and tell people the wonderful things that you had done. So supernaturally, God took this group of people, they spilled out into the street, they're praying in languages they didn't know, and the Bible says that all these people from all over the world, they heard them, and they say, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. In other words, they're worshiping the Lord. They don't know what they're saying, but other people do understand them which tells me that praying in the Spirit is the language of worship. It's a language of worship. And maybe I should change that in your outline to be a language instead of the language, because that does sound kind of uh, sectarian, but it is a language of worship. Paul says it's a real language. You might even be praying in the tongues of angels, the Bible says. I don't know what they speak, but you, you might be praying in Latin. You might be praying in Spanish. Let me tell you, I could tell you several stories like this, but let me tell you a true story that happened in San Carlos de Bariloche, Argentina. It's a beautiful modern city. It rivals any city in Switzerland. It's the ski capital of South America. People come from all over Europe and North America to ski there because the seasons are just the opposite opposite. And we were planting a church in San Carlos de Bariloche. And I had a young college student, much like yourself, from, from Columbus College. It was with us on this trip. And all of our interpreters and translators were busy sharing, you know, kids' testimonies, students' testimonies. And this girl from Columbus College, she wanted so bad to share her story with this lady, she just, her heart felt moved, and there was no translator, so she did what we all do when you're not, you know, if you want eggs, you kind of do your wings like this and scramble, you know, and most people, whether France or Germany, they understand you want eggs. So she, she went to the lady, she took her hand and says, may I, and the lady nodded her head. Well, she began to pray, and she was praying in perfect Castilian Spanish, which is the language and spoken in San Carlos de Bariloche. Perfect Castilian Spanish, what God had done for her at Calvary through Christ Jesus. A crowd gathered around as she continued to pray in the Spirit. The missionary came and got me. She said, you got to see this. you got to see this. And he was interpreting what she was saying. I know her. She didn't speak a single word of Spanish. And there were several people that gave their heart to Jesus right there. So never let anybody tell you it's just emotional gibberish. Never let anybody tell you it's just some sort of psychotic episode. This is something God gave. And when God gives a gift, it's good. Can you say amen? It's good. But it's not weird. And it's not, some people just get weird with this. The Bible says, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. If you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to Help me. You will be talking only to, you're talking to God when you're praying in the Spirit. You'll be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you. So Paul says, I will pray in the Spirit and I will also pray in words that I understand. Now when Andrew was a little munchkin guy, he loved to get up early like I do. He still gets up early. I would knelt at the same chair every morning to pray. We still have that chair. It's a special chair. 
And Andrew would get between me and the chair, and he would fold his hands, and he would listen to me pray. And typically when I got done praying, he and I would pray together. But one day I was praying about something he didn't need to know about, so I just was praying in the Spirit. And he turns around and goes, no, 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 pray in English. I can't understand you. And I said, well, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you, son. I'm talking to God. And God says, when we pray this way, he understands. I don't understand, but he understands. And of course, when he was about six, seven years old, that didn't make sense to him. Didn't make a lot of sense to me when I was little. But it was what God did. So notice several things here. He says, I will pray in the Spirit. I will also pray in words I understand. You are talking to God, number one. It's an actual language. And by faith, you have to choose to speak. Nobody moves your tongue or teaches you how. And people don't understand, but God understands. And all I can do is tell you that for you and for many others, times when I haven't known how to pray for you, I'm looking around this room. I can't think of a single person in this room that I haven't at some point in my life multiple times prayed for you in the Holy Spirit. You say, did you understand what you were praying? No, I didn't understand. But God understood. And I can tell you that many times praying like that, I felt the burden and the urgency lift because I believe in a language that I didn't need to know or need to understand. God understood. And prayer changes things. Can you say amen? And that's what we lean into. Paul, by the way, is grateful that he speaks in tongues. At one point he says... I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. I, I, I am glad I speak in tongues more than any of you. Now, I've never made that boast. I just don't want to make that boast. But imagine what it would sound like if I came up here and I just put my hands on my hips and I said, listen, I speak in tongues more than any of you. That's a pretty bold statement, right? And you go, yeah, aren't you so holy, you know? But Paul makes it and it's left written for us as the word of the Lord. So I know it's true. Paul says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, but in a church meeting, say that with me, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. You see, those four people who crossed the line this morning, those four men, they understood what was being said. There is power in words. There is power in the tongue, the power to heal, the power to destroy. Even, even people like Adolf Hitler understood the power of words. There's power in words. They understood. Paul says if somebody comes into a church service and everybody's speaking in tongues, they're going to go, aren't you idiotes? Aren't you idiots? Because they can't understand what you're saying. So he says, I'd rather speak five words because the word of God is powerful. I'd rather speak five words to help others than 10,000 in an unknown language. So what is it? He's grateful but he does not forefront tongues in a worship service. He doesn't put tongues front and center in a worship service. What's front and center in every worship service is the preaching of the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I will make my boast of nothing else but the cross of Christ. That's what's central. Now, the third thing you need to see is that ridicule was manifested. Anytime there's a move of God... They're going to be people that are going to ridicule it. They're going to mock it. They're going to make fun of it. But you know, remember what I said earlier. People who've been through the fire have the choice of either letting the fire purify them or make them skeptics. 
The tasks that I face and the tasks that you face this morning, look, look at me, listen carefully. The tasks that we face when we're ridiculed for our testimony for Jesus, when we're ridiculed for the work of the Holy Spirit, when we're ridiculed for anything, is God, you have given us the freedom to speak. Help us to speak boldly and help us to speak in love. Can you say amen? So we take advantage of our freedom. And secondly, that when our actions are criticized, that somehow or another, he's only doing this because he's trying to get a good name, or he's only doing this to try to get other people to, to, to like him. You keep doing the works of God. If they mock us for feeding the hungry, if they mock us for giving our money, if they mock us for what we do, we still continue to do what God has called us to do. And thirdly, when people ridicule us because we believe in miracles, hold tight. Because most everybody who's ever mocked me for believing in miracles, I have lived long enough to see them come back and say to me, would you pray with me? I need a miracle. But if we run and cut bait and run when people criticize us, we can never expect, this is one of those conditional promises, we can never expect the power of God to be resident in our life. In my subdivision, that has happened three times. And all three times, by having lived there long enough and built relationships, all three of those men have come and said, would you pray with me? And their actions and behaviors totally changed. All three of them, by the way, gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's, this is such an important thing. You see, Pastor, how do we do that? Because God, look at me, God has poured his love out upon us. I don't want you to miss this. You are loved beyond all the boundaries of human love in this world. You take all of the human love that has ever been expressed, the love of a father for his daughter, the love of a son for his mother, the love of children for their grandparents, the love of everyone all combined, and God's love for you is greater than all the boundaries of all the human love ever expressed for all of history. You are loved supernaturally beyond compare. That's what that cross is all about, that while you were still the enemy of God and I was still the enemy of God, Christ Jesus died for our sins because God so loved the world that still blows me away so let them accuse let them ridicule but I know who I serve and then finally this morning on that day harvest began harvest began suddenly 3,000 people came to church 3,000 people were saved 3,000 people were brought into the body of Christ somebody said to me recently well God probably won't give you 3,000 until you build a building big enough you got a staff big enough you got and I said wait a minute wait a minute that and this is my words that is poppycock because there was no church buildings, there was no pastoral staff, and God still brought 3,000 people to the church in one day. I want that kind of revival to happen in America again. Don't let the current political trends, don't let the current economic trends, don't let the current pop psychology trends, don't let anything discourage you. God is still looking for a people that will answer the question that Martin Lloyd-Jones asked his congregation. If you are full of the Holy Spirit, where is he? We need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning and to be bold expressors of the love of God. So what do we do with this? Number one, we come close to Jesus, and we ask him, fill us with the Holy Spirit. The early church prayed over and over again. They'd say, Lord, come, fill us. God, come, fill us. Paul would ask and pray, pray for me that I would boldly express the Lord of the, 
the Lord's love. Secondly, give yourself to prayer. Those of you that are scientists, you have a background, or some of you have studied this, you'll understand. We had a man in our church that I buried. He was a part of the original Manhattan Project, and I loved him. He gave his heart to Christ here at the church, and, and we talked about these two things, fission and fusion. Fission, we want to pray visionary prayers that break through the gates of hell. But we want to pray fusion prayers that God just binds us all together so that we experience a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then fourthly, we give thanks. You see, spirit-filled people are grateful people. You just can't help yourself. They were giving God thanks. Now think about that for just a moment. We teach our children to be grateful and thankful. And in this little story at the harvest of the wheat, in the middle of the wheat field, there stands a farmer who doesn't take the credit. And behind him, there's a miller, there's a delivery man, and there's a baker, and there's a mother. And it all leads back to a wheat field. And that's what Pentecost was, the celebration of first fruits, the gathering of the wheat, the giving of the bread of life, which is the Word of God, and the sending of the Holy Spirit so that you and I could live lives with the ability not only to live with gratitude, but to touch people with the love of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray for you. There is no one like you, Lord. And I pray that my lost friends who don't understand how you can be one, that God, the word sowed in their hearts will be like seed sprouting and growing with the ability to move aside every false truth and deception, every lie. I pray this morning that when we, oh Lord, since a lack of ability to fulfill our purpose in life, to be who you've created us to be, or maybe even to grasp, what am I here for? Pour out your love upon us. Pour out your spirit upon us, that we may discern the purpose for which you've created us. I pray further, my Father, that you'll give us the ability with this baptism of the Holy Spirit to express this love boldly and sensitively in Christ's name. And I pray, Lord, when I don't know how to pray, Jesus, you will, you will, O oh God, make intercession through me and that I'll have the faith and the ability in my prayer closet to trust the prayer language so wonderfully given to all who will receive. And finally, Jesus, on this day of Pentecost, I'm asking you, pour out your spirit. Baptize us. Purify us. I know you won't burn us, but purify us. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And while every head is bowed, no one's looking around, 
those of you watching online as well, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, or if you've wandered away from your faith in Christ, we all sin. I confess to you this morning, my attitude was wrong. I'm a pastor, but that doesn't make me any better than anybody else. But if you've never given your heart to Christ, or you want to recommit your heart to Christ, if you're watching, if you're with us on Church Online, you can just press that little hand, and it'll indicate, and somebody will pray with you and help you. And if you're here this morning, if you just look, nobody's looking around but me, but you'll say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to recommit my life to Christ. Would you hold it up, and let me pray for you this morning? Well, my Father... I pray that online and here in this room that your spirit, Lord, would touch us and fill us to overflowing. For it's in Christ's name I ask, amen and amen. Now may God, on this beautiful day of Pentecost, may he so baptize you in his Holy Spirit that your heart burns with a white-hot fire for him that you go out of here walking in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to bless those who not only love you, but maybe ridicule you. May he give you peace. May he give you comfort in the Holy Spirit. And may he let you be a bold expressor of his love in Christ's name. Go in peace this morning. Amen and amen.